It's good to see us in this kind of uh, fellowship this morning as we go to the Lord, uh, the Lord's Word in the Bible. We're going to be reading from Luke, the ninth chapter this morning, and we're going to be reading beginning with the 28th verse. But let me just say a word about this text. This is the text that's so familiar to us. It's the text of the transfiguration of Jesus. And it's a familiar text to us, but this morning I want us to look at it in an unfamiliar way. I want us to see that after the transfiguration experience that Jesus goes directly into calling the disciples off of that mountain and into the valley. And in the 10th chapter, Jesus commissions the 70 um, followers of his disciples to go into the valley and to heal the sick and to uh, share the word, to teach the word, to do these miracles that Jesus has called them to in the valley. And so today we're going to look at this text, and I want to give us uh, this word that we need to remember that the experience of the mountain not only was about the transfigured Lord, Jesus, but he transfigured the valley and gave us a new understanding of how we are to approach it. And now I want to ask you this question that I want us to go into this message with. How does the experience of the mountain with Jesus change a believer's view of the valley and the people in it? Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah. And we know that Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets in Jesus. And they appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. And then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus had found, was found alone. And they kept silent in those days and told no one any of the things they had seen. And now the 37th verse. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
We know what we're talking about when we say a mountaintop experience, don't we? And we've had mountaintop experiences. When I say, oh, what's your favorite mountaintop experience? Maybe you could point to an experience that, that you've had. Maybe it was a graduation or maybe it was a baptism or maybe a first kiss. Could we say that? Or, or maybe it was the day on your first, first day on your first job. Or, or maybe it was your wedding day or maybe the birth of a child. Or, or maybe it was the birth of a grandchild. What has been your mountaintop experience? And sometimes when we think about mountaintop experiences, we think of spiritual experiences. Maybe it was that, um, that camp experience that just seemed to be a time when you were so close to God. Or, or maybe it was an experience that you had in church, in worship, or, or on a mission team. You know, our youth and young adults have been on a mission team all week, and and, and we've got a group of, of United Methodist women who are going down to, uh, to Mexico this week to look at, to see what's going on on the border and going to come back and report. And, and maybe they'll have one of these mountaintop experiences. Or maybe it was of a smaller or quieter nature. You know, maybe it was a conversation that you had with a spouse or, 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 or with your, your parent or, or, or something or grandparent that, that really was a moment when you said, you know, it just really doesn't get much better than this. And this is where Peter and James and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration. When they saw Jesus transfigured on the Mount, they, they said, it doesn't get any better than this. And, and Peter spoke it out loud. He said, well, Lord, let us build a tabernacle to you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And, and let's just stay here on the mountaintop. Now, we know that the word transfigured means to change, to alter, to convert in essence. And, and we know that, that before their very eyes, the, the, the apostles, they saw Jesus transfigured. They saw him changed. They saw the fulfillment of the law and the prophets there in him, in his radiant presence. They knew something special was happening. They knew that it was this mountaintop experience that, that, that could never be fully matched. And for Jesus, it was a time of of affirmation and confirmation. It was a time when his divinity was being declared. For God even spoke from heaven and said, this is my son, listen to him. But as soon as all of these events took place, Jesus made sure that he took the, uh, the disciples, Peter, James, and John, down from that mountaintop experience right into the midst of the valley. And in the teaching and healing ministry that transpired by Jesus after that and the calling of the 70 in the valley to the valley people, Jesus was saying, in essence, our ministry is not on the mountaintop. But I want you to have a transfigured view of the valley and the people therein. I want your view to change about these whom we're called to meet with, with my love in all that we say and do. The good news was that 
Life in the valley was life with God right there beside you. For the disciples, it was life with Jesus in the flesh right there beside them as they healed the sick with him, as they, as, as they, they cast out demons with him, as they entered ministry with him. And so is the promise for us. You know, we all need our mountaintop experiences, and I hope for many of us, we come here to church in hopes of a mountaintop experience, and in hopes that we, we leave this place, and, and we know that we've had an encounter with God and with God's people, but we know we're sent forth into the world, into the valley, if you will, to have that transfigured as well, to see people whom we meet as people who are in need of Christ's love. Fred Craddock was a great preacher. He preached, or he taught preaching at, at uh, Candler School of Theology in Atlanta, Georgia. And he was quite a narrative uh, preacher and told stories wonderfully. I remember one story that has stuck with me from Fred Craddock. And it was a story that he told about a young preacher who was fresh out of seminary. I don't know if he was one of Fred's students or not. Fred was notorious for making up stories, actually. But whether this young man existed or not, we get the picture. A young man right out of seminary. And, and he gets a call one day from an older woman who is in the hospital. And she reports to him that she's very ill. In fact, she just talked to the doctor and, and, and her prognosis was extremely poor, that, that she wasn't really expected to survive her disease and she was fairly distraught. And so she asked her young pastor if he would come and visit her in the hospital. Well, he said, sure. I mean, he'd been to seminary. He knew what he was going to do, right? But on the way over there, he began to think in terms of what this woman was going through and what exactly he would say. And it sounded like her condition was, was pretty dire. So he entered the room. He walked over to her bed and he found her there, um, you know, very ill. Uh, it was obvious. Um, as he talked to her, her voice was weak. Uh, she continued to share the uh, news that she'd heard from the doctor and how very dire her circumstance was. And, and so the pastor continued to talk and tried to encourage. And, and as the visit was coming to an end, he asked her, he said, would you like for me to pray with you? She said, well, sure, I'd like you to pray for me. That's why I called you. And, and so uh, fresh out of seminary, he he, he knew the situation and he knew his training and so he said, well, what would you like me to pray for? And she said, oh, I'd like you to pray for my healing. That's why I called you. And, and so the young pastor, as Craddock tells the story, he prayed and it wasn't a great prayer. He was kind of stumbling. He was, you know, somewhat skeptical in his mind if his prayer would really work. And so he prayed and he said amen and he opened his eyes and this woman was wide-eyed. She had brightness in her eyes. She said, you know, I think it worked. I think I'm healed. And then she got out of bed. She stood up straight and she, I'm healed. And she walked down the aisles of, of, of the hospital, as Craddock tells it, and she looked in every door and said, hey, I'm healed. Look at me. I'm healed. And, and the pastor was standing there in the door of her room just petrified. 
Craddock said that he found the, the exit and he went down five flights of stairs to the parking lot. And he was shaking. And he was trying to find where he parked his car. He was so, um, so confused. He didn't, and finally he found his car. And he was fumbling for his keys. And he couldn't find his keys. And finally he just looked up and he said, God, don't you ever do that to me again. And, and, and Craddock's point in that sermon is that sometimes we just lose that sense of awe. And this young man had a mountaintop experience right in front of him, and he didn't know what to do with it. And sometimes we, we, we get so out there, we get so um, secularized, if you will, we, we, we forget the sacred is in our midst. He had forgotten about how Jesus transformed the valley. And that woman who had called him that day was a woman who really did need healing. And she reached out to him. She was the very person that Jesus had commissioned the disciples to minister to. You know, the United Methodist Church, I guess you could say we've kind of taken a hit lately. And it's caused me to wonder, well, why am I United Methodist anyway? Well, I know the answer to that is, well, I had never had a choice. From the time I was born, I was United Methodist. I, I grew up, I, I chose United Methodism. Um, I, I chose to go into the ministry as a United Methodist. I, I know what we teach. I know what we believe in. And I guess it's been kind of this beaten up experience that's caused me to uh, get just a tad bit defensive. I received a six-page single-spaced letter this week from a dear friend in another state who was a member of a Bible church. And he was basically telling me um, how bad it was to be a United Methodist. And then he said he was praying for me. Do you know what it means to have people praying for you? Well, there's a good kind of praying for you, and there's a not so good kind of praying for you. You know, there's the good kind of praying for you is, you know, I'm really praying for you. I'm just hoping the very best for you. You know, I want to pray sincerely. And then there's a praying for you that's kind of like, well, I'm praying for you. I don't think that you're going to be spared from hell, but I'm praying for you. So I decided I'd go online and check out the Bible church. Now, now I want to say one thing that I love about being a United Methodist is, is, is I love the fact that we really are bold enough in our theology, theology to say, I might be wrong. You know how important that is? To embrace an I might be wrong? as we live into what we believe God's put on our heart and the way to live, and, and, and we have an understanding of other faiths, other beliefs, that is more open and inclusive. It leads to a different kind of understanding of the world where we see other religions, even Muslims, and even Jews. 
and even Bible church folk is all faithfully pursuing what they believe God's put on their hearts. But as I read about this particular church, I was reminded again why I'm a United Methodist. Because in this church, it said about the leadership, you had to be a man. That takes care of about more than half of you. And if you want to be an ordained pastor, you also have to be a man. And the men who are elders, they decide who can be members. And then there was in this preamble what you go through when you kick somebody out. When you have to exclude somebody because of who they are. Some sinners just aren't welcome. And and this is a Bible church. Backed up by the Bible. But what struck me in reading the bylaws is what they said about the the gifts of the Spirit. In the preamble, it said, well, the gifts of healing and other gifts of the Spirit stated in the Bible no longer meet the description nor fulfill the purposes of the gifts of the Spirit in Scripture. I wonder if anybody's ever told them the fastest growing Protestant denomination or group of people in the world are the Pentecostals who are believing in the gifts of the Spirit, even being driven by the gifts of the Spirit. And, 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 and that's scriptural. But, but here was my biggest concern. This is what was said about damnation. Souls of unbelievers remain after death in conscious misery until the final judgment of the great white throne of the close of the millennium, when soul and body reunited shall be cast into the lake of fire, not to be annihilated, but to be punished with everlasting separation from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. But we're praying for them. You know, I just got, got to thinking, if, if you had that kind of understanding of an eternal damnation, how can you sleep at night knowing that there are people out there who might be in store for that kind of eternity? It, it makes you want to say loudly and clearly, but not just say it, to live it out, that we want to love all people into relationship with Jesus Christ and out of that it, it makes you think that, that, that can we ever rest here on the mountaintop when, when our call is into the valley where people are living and where people are, are struggling and where people are dying and where people might not know the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ You see, the church needs a big transfiguring of our view of the valley in which we serve. It's not about just this camp out on the mountain where we all are together with people who believe just like we do in some kind of eternal echo chamber. It's about being called into a valley where there are people who aren't like we are to share the love of Jesus Christ. And it's that love that transforms lives. It's our transfigured view of the valley that makes the difference. 
Jesus, he led those disciples off of that mountaintop into the valley where there were hurting, broken-hearted children of God needing the ministry of Christ. There were homeless persons with wounds of a broken world that needed to know someone cared. And the Lord always leads us from the mountaintops of faith to the valley below. That is where the lost sheep are. Jesus will transfigure the valley of our view of the people he calls us to serve in the valley. In the valley where the lost sheep are persons who are seeking love in all the empty places. A valley where people have fears and tears in everyday life. A valley of the joy of parenthood and yet at the same time realizing the birth of this child is into a world that's a scary place sometimes to raise a child. Where people are, are, are so happy and delighted in marriage and yet the reality is that so many marriages fail today. A valley of, 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 of aching and lonely persons, some who are shut in and are homebound and others who are walking through life and they feel like no one cares at all or knows their name. A valley where you, and you can go ahead and fill in the blanks, of any hurting person that God puts on your heart right now. Jesus is here, says the scripture, in the valley, beside us, as we minister to the people in the valley. Now, perhaps you've heard this story about the preacher who moved into his new church. Now, this must have been a day, Catherine, uh, gone by when Methodist preachers all had parsonages and most of them were furnished, and you also had to mow your yard for sure. And this preacher, he had a big yard, and, and, and he realized pretty quickly, he was a young fellow, and he realized pretty quickly that he needed to take care of this yard, or, you know, the, the people will talk. Really, they will. If you don't mow your yard and you're a preacher, they talk. They talk more than normal. And, and so he, he decided he had two fairly good choices one would be that he could he could find somebody to mow his yard or he could find a used lawnmower somewhere and he'd mow it himself and about that time a kid was walking through the neighborhood pushing his lawnmower to his next lawn job and the preacher said hey kid come here just a minute said are you looking for work he said I sure am he said could you mow my yard he said sure can he said, I'm trying to mow as many yards as I can because I want to buy a bicycle by the end of the summer. That's my goal is to get enough money to buy a bicycle. And the pastor, the lights went on. He said, well, I got a 10-speed bicycle that I never ride. I tell you what, I'll swap you this bicycle for your lawnmower. And the kid just lit up. He said, I'll be glad to do that. Here, you can have the lawnmower, and I've got my bike. And the preacher said, yeah, now we're both happy. You accomplished your purpose, and I accomplished mine. And so the kid, he rode off. 
And the preacher started pulling on that rope, trying to crank that lawnmower. He pulled and he pulled and he pulled and he was sweating and getting frustrated. And all of a sudden, the kid comes around the corner again, riding the bicycle. And the preacher said, come over here, come over here. I, I need some How do you start this lawnmower? And the kid said, well, it's kind of finicky. He said, what I usually do is I usually kick it, but you really have to cuss at it or it won't start. The preacher said, son, I don't cuss. He said, long ago, I, when I was called into ministry, I put away those kinds of things, and I don't cuss. I don't use foul language, and I'm not going to cuss this lawnmower to start it. I've forgotten how to cuss, the man said. The little boy said, well, I tell you what, you keep pulling on that rope, and it's all going to come back to you. You know what I like about that story, and I think you do too, is that it's real and it's honest. And, and we preachers, even we preachers, we don't live in a, in a world that's separated from, you know, pulling the rope. And, and a church can't be uh, a church that finds itself so removed from the world that that, that we don't see our place in the world pulling the rope. In the young people today, a part of the problem, the reason we don't have more of them in here is because they're by and large fed up with fake and insensitivity and exclusion. They won't come if that's who we are. Because that's not what the book says we are. Too many young people today don't trust the church and they see us as hypocrites. It may be unfair, but I'm telling you, many do. You know, part of this capital campaign is a piece called 723. It's a little warehouse that's been very nicely renovated. Been provided to us by a church member. We pay a little rent. We, we've set up a mission station there. We've been working at this and we're trying to figure out exactly what God wants us to do. But it, there's no doubt about it. It's right in the middle of the valley. There are apartments springing up everywhere on this uh, 723 Fort Worth Avenue, it's, it's right there in the thick of things. New businesses coming up, restaurants galore. It's right around the corner from Trinity, uh, what do you call that? Trinity Groves. There, there are people coming everywhere right into that. And, and there are no churches right there. And so we have this vision of being in the valley right there on the near west side of town on 723 Fort Worth Avenue and having a worshiping community there. Oh, it won't be a worship service like this. We're not going to do a pipe organ. Because the young people who will gather there, they want things real and they want things transparent and they want things that feel like you're pulling the rope with them.
and we'll gather to have Bible studies and, 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 and we'll gather in places where you can be transparent and share your faith. They may move some of those Bible studies over to a, a restaurant and they may drink a little beer when they're studying their Bible. I don't know if that's what you do. It's certainly not what I do. I'm a preacher, you know, pulling the rope. But maybe we need to be right there where they are, where they're comfortable. And, and maybe that needs to be a mission hub. We believe it does. We're going to certainly uh, be about that because, you know, young people today, they want to roll up their sleeves and they want to put their faith in action. They want to help somebody because that's the way they read the Bible. Jesus was about helping people in the valley. And I envision 723 becoming kind of like a, a mountaintop experience for some of these young people and those of us who go there as well. And, and, and the mountaintop experience will be one that they say, you know, there may be something to this faith. I feel like you're pulling the rope with me. This feels real. It feels genuine. And then they start hearing the call to go to the people in the valley. They, not, they no longer see themselves as the people in the valley. They see themselves as those who've been transfigured, changed, converted, seeing the valley differently than ever before. Oh, what a vision. Peter and James and John needed the mountaintop. We all do. We all do. And let me tell you a wonderful secret, though. Peter didn't go up to the mountaintop to find God. God brought Peter up the mountain. And God found Peter, James, and John. And, and God said to Peter, James, and John, this is my son. Listen to him. We go up to the mountain. And we experience the word of God as the people of God. We go up to the mountain and we hear the parables of Jesus. We go up to the mountain and we, we learn about the teaching ministry of Jesus. We go up to the mountain and, and sometimes it's, it's so good that we just want to stay. But Jesus said, and listen to him, listen to him. He said, we've got to come down and go into the valley where the people who are hurting and who are lonely and who are hopeless need us. And Jesus said, I think he said, I mean, it's not in the Bible, but it should be. Go in the valley and start pulling the rope. 
be real, be accessible, be inclusive, be Jesus to a world in need.